uh, sixth chapter of the book of Luke. That's where we are. And um, <clears throat> I can't believe we did this. How could we do this? We stopped right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is not really the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, why am I saying that? Because in this story that many people believe is different, some people don't believe it's different, Many people believe it's a different occasion from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. In this occasion, uh, Jesus comes down with them, verse 17 of chapter 6, and stands on a level place. And that's why many people call this the Sermon on the Plain. But don't get hung up on that, whether or not it's the same or different or whatever, because this one's more condensed. Oh, hi. Uh, but know that for you and for me, don't get tired of hearing the gospel. See, some people say, well, oh, geez, were they preaching through Luke again? I can't go to that. Really? Well, Jesus taught the same sermons. Paul, Peter said, I, uh, I don't want to be neglectful of putting you in remembrance of things you already know. See, remembering is a method of learning. And I don't know about you, uh, I think I'm in the same boat as you, but we don't have this all down yet. That song is so perfect, right? <laughs> Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Have you felt like that? So please, 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 when the attitude of your flesh rises up to say, oh, I've heard that before, don't say it. Help me not to say it. Because this is the living word of God that's powerful, can cut us, do surgery on us in the right spiritual way, and has impact and power in our lives. So Jesus comes down uh, on a level place, and we talked about this. He begins to give the Beatitudes. In this one, he only gives four Beatitudes, and he gives four woes. We talked about them last time. But remember, blessed means happy. So I wonder, depending upon the circumstances of your life, <laughs> or irregardless of the circumstances of your life, there we go, that's what I meant to say, irregardless of the circumstances of your life, whether the circumstances of in your life are in the toilet or on the mountaintop, are we happy people? See, Jesus says that you're going to look like a wretched, weak, shriveling, dependent, brainwashed person, according to the world. You're going to look bad, according to the world. You're going to wake up every morning and say to yourself, I'm poor spiritually. I have nothing to offer you, Lord. So when people come and criticize you and say, some kind of Christian you are, you know what you say? <laughs> Boy, you're right. You're exactly right. <laughs> I have nothing to offer spiritually aside from being uh, linked to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, become, we come in the door of the, of the family of God. We come in the door of the family of God by being poor. Was that ever taught in school? Nope by being poor spiritually. And then ours, the whole kingdom of God, is opened up to us. And when we come and we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, what happens to us? Well, flip over to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Do that. This is just me. This isn't written anywhere, but this, I'm just, this is a little side note. This is gonna, I'm, I'm going to throw this one in for free. If you will study and learn 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Philippians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Romans 8. In my own life, I, it has unlocked the Bible in so many ways. 
And so I take you to 2 Corinthians 5. It's my favorite chapter of the New Testament where we're told about the assurance of the resurrection. We're told about the judgment seat of Christ, that judgment seat that all Christians, folks, will appear at. Then we get to verse 12, and I'm going to read a little bit of this for you. We don't commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we... You catch that? If we are beside ourselves, you ever use the phrase, maybe it's an older phrase, man, I'm just beside myself. I'm perplexed. I don't know which way to go. I... Look, Paul says, if we're beside ourselves, he was a real man with real temptations and real hurts and real stresses. Do you catch that? He's beside himself. But listen, even when he was beside himself or the Christians were beside themselves, it was all for God's glory. (laughs) Whether we're beside ourselves or if we're of sound mind, if everything's just going right, no ducks out of line, all our ducks in a row, just everything, you know, just perfect. It's the, you know, the, the magnolia living. My house looks great, my car looks great, my family looks great, my job looks great. When I'm like that, listen, even then it's all for Christ. It's all for God. Because here's why, Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. It's what we do, it's what motivates us, it's what we do everything for. We sang about it. It's so perfect what we sang. We are loved, so we love him back, and then we love others. Love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. If you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know you've said something, you've agreed with something, you've entered into something that's really radical. It's more radical than the Western church talks about. You've given up your life for his. You've renounced self-life. You've you've given up your life. Your life is no longer your own. So when you say you have rights to stuff, watch out. But anyway, we we don't any longer live for ourselves. That was easy for me to say. But for him who died for them and rose again. That's who we live for. We live for Jesus Christ because he died and now lives for us. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I'm so glad I read this chapter. Boy, this goes right along with the Beatitudes. We don't see people according to the flesh. Stop saying, I can't believe that person. What do you mean you can't believe that person? They're sinning people. They're sick in need of a Savior. Why couldn't you believe that person? Your conduct's no better without the Lord. Relax. We don't see people according to the flesh. They act according to the flesh, yes, but Jesus never saw them that way. He saw them as spiritually sick. He wasn't one to say, oh, I'm so sick of dealing with those people, like we say sometimes. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him uh, thus no longer. Therefore, if any, here it comes. This is why I read you the whole thing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are not, if you're a surrendered, born-again, spirit-filled Christian, you're not being improved upon. When the Lord came to me and I surrendered my life to Christ. It's not Tim becoming better. It's me becoming new. I'm a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. That's important for you to know. That's the key to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes don't apply to somebody who haven't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, but they apply to you if you have, because you're a new creation. And Jesus wants you to know what a new creation's life will look like. He's a new creation. Old things have passed. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
I'm always a smart aleck. I know it. I need the Lord to work on it with me. Totally do. But I can say to you emphatically, if you're a Christian, I know your ministry. (laughs) And the only reason I know your ministry is not because I'm some spiritual guru or anything. I just read it. Your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. To point people to Jesus who will reconcile people back to the Father. That's your ministry. I don't care where you are, in school, at job. You're, uh, you're uh, uh, stay at home with the children, which is the hardest job. I don't, I don't care. Whatever you're doing, you're, you're retired and you're in the community. Okay, same ministry. Point people to Christ, who, can, who is the only one who can reconcile, or reconcile people back uh, to God who has reconciled us through Jesus and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Oh, here it comes. This is what melts your heart. This is it. This is the whole reason you love and I love and we love. Not imputing, oh man, their trespasses to them. See, that should get the the Super Bowl clap right there. You're, You're in Christ. Your sins are not imputed to you. They're not counted against you. Your sins are not counted against you. But if you're outside of Christ, your sins are counted against you. So what did you do to earn that or to to gain that? Nothing. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. You just received what he had for you. Not imputing their trespasses and committed to us the word of reconciliation. I know your ministry because I read and so do you. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. See it? as though God were pleading through us. See, see, your life has incredible meaning. You, you think you're just going to the store when your wife forgets stuff at the store or husband. We have a running joke at our house. But anyway, you think you're just going to the store. You think you're just going to a soccer game. You think your life is, is a pleading to the entire world, to know Christ. That's what your life is. You have meaning, folks. It isn't just about sports or music or what. You have meaning. Is that your life is a plea, a plea on behalf of of God to bring people back to him. For he, here it comes, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So your sins aren't imputed to you because they were imputed to Jesus on the cross. Now that he paid for your sins, he paid for them and he died and he rose again. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, look at this. His righteousness is imputed to you. So now, when you go back to Luke, why did I take you through all of this? Because you can't really understand the Beatitudes unless you know that. What's Jesus talking to us about? He's talking to us about what a new creation in Christ looks like. You're so happy. Whether your circumstances are low or high, you're so happy and blessed and joyful. You're so happy because you know you're spiritually poor, and you, can, you can't do anything for the kingdom outside of Jesus Christ. But now that you know this, and he's filled you up, the whole kingdom is opened up to you. All his riches of grace are available to you, and you'll be exploring the Lord for all eternity. Just communing with him and knowing him. Blessed are you who hunger, for you shall be filled. See, you have a new hunger now that you're a new creation. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, where formerly you were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. You want to do right stuff because his righteousness has put, been put into your spiritual bank account. Before, you didn't really even care. Yes, you had a conscience. You knew right from wrong. But you and I, we were sinners, and what we did was party and live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay. Because if you weep and mourn now in these ways, you will laugh for eternity. (laughs) Laugh in this sense. You'll be celebrating with the Lord. Marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be fun. You ever thought about that? It's going to be joyful. Pure joy, for you shall laugh and you'll be there forever. Blessed are you when men hate you. Oh, this is great. 
Oh, fantastic. You people pleasers, and I'm one of them. Blessed are you when men hate you. Why? Because you're a new creation and there's this fragrance, this fragrance of Christ, of life to some, but to others, death. And when you get around them as a Christian, don't even have to say something sometimes. You just bug people. Is that a good theological word? Yes, so people are going to make fun of you and do all these sorts of things. They will even exclude you. You like to be excluded? And they'll revile you and cast your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their father did to the prophets. And we read through this. He pronounces woe. Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Remember, you can get all this stuff temporarily. Come on, folks. Let's just be honest about this. I'm just going to be honest here. Sin is fun for a season. (laughs) I've had some fun times. But you know what? It ends poorly. It ends in a catastrophic way. Sin always leads to deadly things and separation and alienation and it never leads to permanent satisfaction or peace or strength, or strength. And what these woes are telling you are, if you want to live a fleshly way and gather up these woes now, it's all you'll ever have. You'll never have the eternal. And he goes on and he says to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and praise for, pray for those who spitefully use you. I read that and I, you know what I say? I remember doing this at a, Bible study once at our home fellowship, and a certain person who goes to church here said, oh my, I can't do that. And that's the point. You can't do that. You need Jesus daily, minutely, <laughs> minute by minute, second by second. You need his flowing grace to your heart, his mercy into your soul, so that you, and the supernatural love, so that you can do this to bless people, not just tolerate people, but to actually bless people who uh, hurt you strikes you on one cheek, offer the other. One takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic, all these things. We, we talked about this. Uh, give to everyone who asks of you and be very generous, takes away. That's what new creation people look like. They don't ask things back. Are you, I want you to catch something here. Folks, I don't, he doesn't say the word here. It's, it's more pronounced in the epistles the New Testament epistles. He doesn't say the word here, but you know what he's describing all throughout this? God's gracious love, his grace. Look, grace is lending to you or giving to you or moving towards you with no hidden agenda. Not like, hey, hey, uh, hey, uh, Mike, if I lend you my you know, lawnmower or something, you need to you know, fix it up and bring it back. That's not grace. Or, or whatever. You get it? And in these, these verses, Jesus is describing a life, a new creation who's a graceful, where grace and mercy and truth are just flowing out of a person. That's what he's describing, a new creation. You say, I can't do it. Right. Abide, John 15. Just go to abide and read it every morning. Renounce the self-life. Be filled up with Jesus, not yourself. Here he says, how do I know all this? And just as you want men to do you, you also do them likewise. Well, I know this because something I didn't tell you last week. I forgot. You ever, anyway. Verse 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Guess what that word is in the Greek? Charis. C-H-A-R-I-S, which is the root word for grace. In other words, there's no grace here. Everybody, the world lives, un, you know, ungraciously. The world says, oh, I'll lend to you if you lend back. The world says, I'll be, do something for you if you give back. Jesus is describing a life, a new creation life of grace. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? That's a life. This, folks, if you're only doing good to somebody who does good to you, you're not living a graceful life. Are you catching that? Let that sink in for a minute. You've not apprehended the grace of God. 
Neither have I. When I'm not blessing people who don't like me. (laughs) When I'm not kind to others who don't like me. Have I even apprehended the grace of God? It's a shocking, radical statement that Jesus is making here. Because see, the teachings were, hey man, find people who are like you and, and like you and then do some good stuff for them. Jesus is saying, forget that trash. A life of grace gives to people who hate them, who spit at them, who crucify them. Chorus. And if you do good to those, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. You lend. And so we went through this. And he says here, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil in verse 35. And then it says, therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. See, if you're an abider, you're in Christ and he's in you. It's an intimate relationship. If you're an abider, you've been reconciled, I read it to you, 2 Corinthians 5, back to the Father. Guess what happens as you renounce the self-life, minute by minute, day by day, decision by decision, activity by activity? You catching? It's a life of faith. You live... uh, Everything is filtered through your life of faith, through your filling of, uh, of the Holy Spirit, of your service to Jesus Christ, minute by minute. Guess what happens to you as you abide and you renounce that self-life and Jesus fills you up? Guess what happens? You become like your father. Isn't that great? You become like your father. So, so wait a minute, folks. Oh, man. I want you to think about the person that drives you nuts. Don't look at them. Don't point towards them. Jan's pointing up here. No, no, I just want you to think about somebody that is obnoxious, that bothers you. Uh, I want you to think about somebody in a different political party. I want you to think about watching a different news channel and what you say to the broadcasters. I want you to think of all that. And then I want you to read this. Verse 36, therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. You say to yourself, how could they believe that stuff? How could they act like that? Well, Jesus said, be kind to the unthankful and the evil. See, the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, it talks to you about how to act towards other people. But you know what? I'm going to give you a little secret about the Sermon on the Plain. It's really talking to you. It's about being honest with yourself. It's about self-examination spiritually. You don't believe me? Well, read this. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them and said this, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher." And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? This should hurt. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't even think about or perceive or take care of the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. Boy, he didn't mince words. The most graceful, merciful person to ever live. I mean, he just called it like he saw it, right? This is hypocritical. Don't be a hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. 
But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the, or, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Well, let's go back. The favorite verse of the world when they talk about the Bible. Don't judge me, man. Who are you to judge me? In fact, doesn't it say in your Bible not to judge people? Well, the answer is yes and no. Because look up in verse 43. He tells you to examine people and to know them by their fruit. So if you're calling that judging, well, yep, I'm judging. So he must be talking about something different. There must be different strains of judging. And if you look at the section in Matthew, the companion section, and compare it here, a different word is used, but... I want you to know in this section, from 37 to about 38, just 37 and 38, you know what he's building upon? He's building upon, therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. He's talking to us about reaping what we sow. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about reaping what we sow in this life. He tells us not to judge people. And you won't be judged back. And really what this is talking about, we Christians are not to judge to condemnation. Jesus came, did he not, to heal the sick. Not to call the righteous, but to heal the sick. And I got news for you. You're part of that sickness. But the Lord has come in and saved you and given you new life. You understand it? So we have no room for spiritual superiority. So I'm not to come to you and to complain and to moan about how you said that word on Tuesday and you said, acted that way on Thursday and you better get a grip. You see, I don't know what's going on between you and the Lord. Hey, by the way, you weren't with me on Tuesday, and you weren't with me on Thursday. You probably didn't see what I did and had no opportunity. This is talking about condemning ultimately. You're not to be an ultimate condemner. That's the job of God himself. So if you find yourself saying stuff like this, you believe her, you believe him, is she even really a Christian? I can't believe what those people are doing. Or if you say it to people, Christians, man, they'll get right after you. If you say it to people, you better check yourself. Because the way in which you judge people, if you find yourself being overly aggressive, always being on the lookout for stuff in other people's lives to determine whether they're a Christian or not. I can hear the emails coming now. That's the job of the Lord. You remember this? We are to be discerning people. No question about it. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. We're not just supposed to be unwise. We're supposed to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. We're to be supposed to be discerning people people. Listen, folks, if you come to my house and when my kids were little and asked me to uh, babysit my kids and you had a record for child molestation, guess what? I'm judging you because you ain't watching my kids. So there's a difference here. I would never give up on the person. I would pray for them. I would uh, 
help them to get into Bible studies, to know the Lord. I would challenge them to know the gospel and to be, have a transformed life. And if they got mad at me and stormed away, I'd still pray for them and love them, but they ain't watching my kids. So there's this place, and it's a really fine line. There's this place where we're not to condemn ultimately. We're not to judge people ultimately. If you find yourself again saying, I can't believe that person. Really? I can't believe you. Speaking of me, myself. I can't believe myself. I need the Lord minute by minute. I need his resource and strength to get through the day. I'm spiritually poor, and so are you. But if you're always hitting your head and giving up on people, you're judging people in an inappropriate way. If somebody, though, has bad fruit in their life, you need to judge for identification, to be aware. Not so you can pray at the prayer meeting, wink, 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 and gossip about the person. But you need to be aware of, of somebody and the fruit in their life so that you know how, A, to minister to them, and B, how to be careful around them. You get the difference here? There's a big difference, folks. Also, remember, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples. And what he's saying to them is, you watch yourself, the way in which you are out in the world being an ultimate judger. Only God is the ultimate judger. Not only is God the judger, he's the jury, and he's the executioner. Leave that up to the Lord. But when you're out in the world, you're going to know other people, including teachers, who have bad fruit. But oh, by the way, examine your own fruit. Because Jesus is saying, I think, you people are the way in which we're going to spread the gospel. And when people know that you're not perfect, but that you're dependent, that you're an abider, that you love the Lord, that you ask for forgiveness, that you keep moving on in Jesus, and the fruit that comes out of your life is good and eternal, listen, people will listen to you. But if you have bad fruit constantly... They won't listen to you. So yes, listen, we are to be people who don't judge ultimately to condemnation. Watch the declarative statements, I can't believe that person. Really, watch yourself. That's what he's saying here. But also know that you're to judge to identification so that you can be careful in the world and also uh, be following the Lord. Okay, I really beat a dead horse there. I can hear, hear everybody's excitement. So, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Remember, let him execute the judgment. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Wait a minute, what? What? You mean if I'm a forgiving person, God will forgive me? No, you know the Bible, folks. Come on. You know the Bible. You're forgiven based on the blood of Jesus Christ but a new creation will be a forgiving person. And the way in which you operate in this world is what you're going to get back. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then this, you're going to be unbelievably hospitable and charitable and giving. Folks, it's all about grace. Christmas is about grace. It's giving. He gave it all. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your where? Look, where? Your bosom, your heart, inside. You need peace and strength. Come to the Lord. Renounce yourself. Die to self. Live for him. Pour it all out for him and he'll fill you up. Including the way in which you treat other people. And it'll be poured back into your heart in amazing ways. For With the same measure that you use it, it'll be measured back to you. And now he comes and he speaks a parable to them. His disciples, these people that he wants to train up and grow up. He wants them to train and then go out and share the gospel. But see, just sharing the gospel... 
Yes. Yes. Power of God unto salvation. He can do it through an obnoxious person. He could speak through the, uh, a donkey. I was going to say another word, but I didn't think you could handle it. He could speak through a donkey. He could, he could do what he wants. Yes, but generally, he wants you to connect with people in a loving way, then speak truth into their life. And so he's giving them what a new creation person looks like. And here he says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Now, this is interesting because he's taking a swipe in a good way at religious people. Remember to the Pharisees? He called them what? Blind guides. You're so tied up in the external rules and regulations and tradition, you're leading people right into the ditch. You better be careful if you're externally religious and always right without nothing inside. That's what he's saying. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? He's warning his disciples. He's telling us that your relationship with him is the most important thing that can ever happen in your life. You know, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the American church is so ineffective because they don't do devotions. Isn't that weird? I'm convinced we're so ineffective because we don't love radically because we're not receiving the resource and strength from the Lord because we're not abiding. We're just saying some things off the back of a card, then showing up and giving money and doing, checking off all the boxes, but there's no inward transformation. And here, he's saying to his disciples, don't be like that. That's blindness, and you'll lead people into a ditch. I want you to really love them while you're telling them the gospel really love them, which means, you know, if they, you know, said a bad word in the middle of the sentence, okay, I get it. You have virgin ears. But, you know, you don't have to blast them about the cuss word. Don't strain out the gnats. Let's talk about the bigger issues of righteousness and salvation and mercy and justice. Let's, let's talk about those with people. Don't, don't get into that. See, the Lord will do the work if we'll just be obedient. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly tra- trained will be like his teacher. Now, see, that statement, Jesus, is so wonderful, is both a blessing and a curse. If you're being trained by religious people, you're going to be leading people into ditches. But if you're trained up by Jesus himself through under-shepherds, that's what the ministers of the church are supposed to be. We're just shepherds who are under Jesus. Right at the, hey, listen, we, you know, if you did an organizational chart of the church, you know where the pastor would be? Here. Not here. We're just shepherds, like, and Jesus is our shepherd, and he's our shepherd, and we're not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. We can't lead people to places where we haven't been ourselves. Moms and dads, oh, send them to Sunday school. We'll get them trained up in the Lord. No, 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 no. You live a life of radical dependence upon the Lord. Of course, Sunday school, uh, Christian schools, yes, they're great. But parents, we need to get back to parents leading a life of devotion to the Lord. You you can't go uh, lead people places that you haven't been yourself. And, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't perceive the plank? You know, as you're walking in this world, be very careful to be so condemning because, yeah, okay, maybe you said a cuss word, but why don't we talk about the fear that's in your life? Oh, yeah, yeah, she or he, yeah, you're adulterer. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the gluttony in your life if you want to. See, you're missing the point when you're thinking about this stuff. He's saying here, don't focus 
as you go out and minister to other people, on them. Yes, focus on them. But before you do, you better make sure what you're right in here. Are you getting it? Why? You know what Galatians says, right? Galatians says that I'm to restore a brother by pounding him into submission. No, I'm to restore a brother gently. There's all, you, you know, there's places that talk about, you know, if I uh, have pride and, and go out and, you know, try to whack people over the head, I'm the one that's going to fall. See, the whole goal of sharing the gospel is to get them to be reconciled to the Father, get people to be reconciled to the Father. And before you do and go out and do that stuff, remember, you got stuff in your place too. It looks like logs to some people, and it can make you be a person who doesn't see. So make sure before you tell somebody about their cigarette smoking or their cussing or something else, whatever you think it is, you be careful when you do it. Because there's things that you're not doing right that the Lord wants to fix too. Now, this isn't a, look, the Lord's not beating you up over the head. He just wants you to make you sure that you do these things tenderly and truthfully for you truth lovers out there. No one's ever saying, stop saying the truth. For goodness sakes, he just called them hypocrites. His own people. We're to judge to identification. We are then asked to go to a brother who's sinning, aren't we? Nothing wrong with it. The Bible tells us sinning. You're looking at bad stuff on your phone. Okay, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, listen, you need to stop this. A lot of people here struggle with that issue. So I'm not jumping your case here. Know that. But I know that this is unhealthy. And you need to stop. How can I help? I'll be your buddy. You be my buddy. You hold me accountable. I'll hold you accountable, okay? Yes. Okay, you're going to give me access to your phone, right? All the passwords. Yes. Okay, you can have them to mine. You don't go there, wham. No, you do it gently with love. Oh, by the way, if they won't listen to you, go take some others to them. The Bible gives us the way to do it. Okay, so you get the speck out of your eye first. Don't be a hypocrite. Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see, or uh, plank, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. That's powerful. Is that powerful? Does that give a different spin on how you call out people, quote unquote? Because you don't call out people, you go to them privately. You say truth to them, yes, but you need to be circumspect like I need to be circumspect. You need to be not judging to condemnation, but judging for identification. You need to be then a person who gently restores. That's the whole goal. You're not trying to win an argument. I'm more spiritual than you. You're trying to win a brother or a sister back to the Lord. You catching it? That's what new creation people do. And then he goes, for a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Well, again, he's saying to you that you're to develop fruit in your life. So am I. It's by, by connecting to him, the vine and the branch. That's how we develop good fruit. We hang out with him. Every morning we, we get up, our feet hit the floor. We say, Lord, we need you. We're poor in spirit. Help us with this decision, this thing I need to do. Help us. I'm going to look to you, Lord, as I go. Help to, help to just uh, order this whole day. And then as you go, he does these sorts of things. And then he starts to develop uh, fruit in your life. And if you pray this prayer, I want fruit to be developed in your life. It's a dangerous prayer because it's going to cut away at yourself. It's going to cause you sacrifice and time and effort. Before, uh, uh, bearing good fruit means things like this, being long-suffering with annoying people. Uh, being long-suffering with evil people, being long-suffering with enemies. That's what the fruit is. Because we live in an era where Christ is reaching out to a rejecting world and he wants to be patient. His patience will come to an end when he comes back to the Lord. I guess I shouldn't say it that way. He's always patient. But he's going to give us opportunity, and he's going to come back and set everything right. But until then, listen, our fruit needs to be right. But also, I think this is a warning to 
him about those who will be teaching. Don't, don't sit under a bad fruit teacher. Don't do that. And you can look how a teacher is by looking at the fruit of their life. You, you, right? So, oh, they dress nice and they have $3,000 watches. That ain't the criteria, folks. They have big TV following, not the criteria. They can be good. I'm not saying they can't. They can be good. But it's not just because they're on TV or write books. Fact, that's a dangerous business if you ask me. Anyway, you're going to know these guys. You're going to know them. Bad tree, bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. Men don't gather figs, etc. And here in verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now this is one of the most convicting, is it not, verses of the entire Bible. Is it not one of the most convicting verses of the entire Bible? I'm the chief sarcasm king. I like to joke around. My love language is sarcasm, for goodness sake. But what does this tell me? Out of the good treasure of my heart brings forth good. You're going to be able to tell a lot about people about what they talk about. About what they talk about. About what comes out of their mouth. So think about it. What are you talking about? Are you talking about other people all the time? Are you talking about the goodness of the Lord? Are you talking about his glories? Are you talking about the word? Are you talking about uh, the people up in the stands who uh, don't like you? Are you talking about the politicians on the other side of the bench? What do we talk about? Boy, would you love it or not like it if somebody followed you around with a tape recorder all day? You can tell a lot about a person for what, out, what comes out of the abundance of the heart is what his mouth says. So what the things that come out are those who speak appropriately. And you know what? In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it says that disciples, listen to this, reproduce people who are true to the Lord. Think about that. Are you a disciple? If so, you and I and we, you are a disciple. Guess as disciple makers, we are to represent people who stay true to the Lord. And one of the areas in which that is really, really evident is how the people who you're leading, families, how they speak to one another. You kidding me? Well, he goes on, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. You see, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. What is the rock? I think the rock is the word of God. The rock. What do you Build your life on the rock, on God's love, on his grace and mercy. You know that the Bible tells us in 1 Peter that we are or 2 Peter, sorry, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know that? You enter the kingdom of God through God's grace, but you live in the kingdom of God for eternity by God's grace. And you're to be growing in it, and the way in which you grow in it is by knowing and ingesting his word, taking it in. And so you build your whole life. Listen to this now. You say to yourself, oh, yeah, okay, that's great pastor speak stuff. I like that. That's pretty cool. Okay. You know what I'll do? Here's what I'll do. I'll get a little verse thing to come up on my phone every morning. I'll look at it for two or three seconds. It'll be amazing. In fact, I'm going to take one, one of those calendars and I'll get one verse a day. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to fill myself. See, this says put your whole life and base it on the word of God. God's word. Be a studier of God's word. Be an understander of God's word. Be a student of God's word. But not just for so you can be a librarian and stay in the library, so that you can go out and love others. Build everything around God's love uh, that's revealed through his word. Everything. Now hold on here. That means your schedule. 
Listen, I'm not telling you to come to church here. I just don't do that. Wherever the Lord's leading you to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, where you're being fed the Word of God, where you're learning it, you're not learning vignettes. You're not learning five-minute self-help sermons. You learn the Word of God. I want you to go there and to plug in and to serve and to learn God's Word until He comes back. Because, look, if you build it on that, here's what he says. There's two different types of people. People who won't listen to what I say. They'll say, Lord, Lord. They'll come to the church. They'll check the money off. They'll do the things, but they're not building their lives around the word of God. They're just posing. And here's the problem. When the flood comes, and by the way, the flood comes to both those who build their life on the rock and those who don't. Floods come. When the flood comes, (laughs) I'm laughing because last Christmas, two trees fell on our house right at the day before Christmas. That was kind of like a flood. (laughs) That was a wake-up call. But anyway, I digress. When the floods come, it's it's going to go like this. It's just an unveiling, an unveiling of what you've built your life on. You'll know instantly. Are you an abider or are you a faker? Am I an abider or am I a faker? Am I saying, Lord, Lord, but not reading and doing what he asks? We'll know instantly when a flood comes, when the problems come. When do Christians shine the brightest in the most difficult times? When do spirit-filled people shine the brightest in the most difficult times But he who has heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now see, here's my hope and prayer as we ask these people to come up and sing with us and lead us in song and worship one more time. And as they're walking, don't look at them. It's okay. They'll be up here in a minute. You know what my prayer is? My prayer, your prayer, let's make it our church's prayer that nobody would say, Lord, Lord, and not do the things what Jesus says. Let's all be ones who do the things that Jesus says. And you know what Jesus is saying in this sermon as disciples and followers? Here's your first assignment for this week. You ready? Examine yourself. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we, we do. We come here and we understand that this is radical living. It's radical living, Lord. Lord, we could never do this without your spirit, without your help, without your guidance. Lord, help us to be humble people who count on you. Abiders. Lord, we pray that you would go for in front of us. Help us to love people this week who are hurting and struggling, who might even not be living up to par, so to speak, as some people think. But Lord, help us to give them truth and love and encouragement in a time where the world is doing the opposite. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.